because we're right in the midst of a sermon series called Know What You Believe. And as, as you know, uh, as you're growing up, uh, you're, you're sort of listening to whatever mom and dad say, you're maybe your Sunday school teacher or somebody, and the pastor, if you're really listening, and, and you sort of got your thought, this is my faith, you know. But when you graduate and you go off to college or you go off to the workforce, you find out that you were living sort of like, this is what I believe, and you all of a sudden you just get bombarded by other worldviews and philosophies and thoughts about this is the way life is, and next thing you know, you start dabbling with all that. And what you learned here and maybe what you learned growing up in Sunday school or vacation Bible all of a sudden just sort of goes out the window. And it's almost like every parent's nightmare when their kids go through that because they wonder, will they come back? Like the prodigal child. And the more you know, I hear it, the more I see it, as much as you try to prepare for it, it's like, boy, are, do, are we really prepared? Are we really trained? Do we really know what we believe? And so it's, I think it's important. We talked about last week, we believe that there's one God, and we talked about that. And, and the question is, believing that there's one God, how do you live? And today it's believing that this, the Bible, God's Word is true, Knowing that, how do you live? And that's what we're going to be focusing on today. Because today it seems like we find that social media and the news is slanted or tainted uh, with emotion and opinions that this is the way it is. And we weigh out the news sources. Well, this news source said this, and this news source said this, and this news source said this. And a lot of times they don't match up. And then they don't seem to be believable because they aren't all matching up. So what do we believe when we're listening to all these sources? And we ask ourselves, is it true or is it, as you've heard the term recently, fake news? Is it real or is it fake? I want to know. Where do we turn to find truth? What source can we read? What source can we listen to? Who do we trust? And you hear me say on a weekly basis, grab your Bibles and turn to... Why would I do that? Because there's truth. And when I can say, hey, grab this resource and turn to it, I'm not 100% sure if that's true, but I know this is. So when we have problems, think about this. We sit down and we talk, and some of you maybe come to my office or you call me, or maybe you're out with a friend or you're in a Bible study or somewhere, and you, you sort of start sharing about what's going on. And you're like, how do I find the answers? Well, let's look in the Bible, right? I'm really having a problem with life right now, struggling with this issue. Where do I turn? What should I look to? And it's like, well, let's go to Wikipedia. We don't do that, do we? We're like, let's go to the Bible. We are seeking direction. We're seeking hope. And, and it's like, if I could just find, what? A verse from the Bible. We were at a Christian bookstore, and, and you find all kinds of decoration and plaques and pictures. And what do they have on them? Verses. Scripture. To put somewhere for us to see so we can find that truth. We're desperate to search for truth, aren't we? We're seeking for hope. We want direction. And the Bible's our answer. Or is it? I'm not going to do, hey, raise your hand or anything like that. But, you know, we say, oh, it's true. I believe it. But let me ask you this. If it's true, if you believe it, do you stand on it? Do you live by it? Because there's a lot of things we say we believe in, but we don't really live them out, right? 
If we're to live like one who believes, we need to know what we believe. Not what my parents believe, not what my grandparents or my great-great-grandparents believed, but what do I believe? Do I know what I believe, and am I living on what I believe? I don't want to be a hypocrite, and I don't want you to be one either. I want you to know why the Bible is the ultimate source of truth from where we find our hope and where we find our guidance. And as I stated last week, we believe in one God, right? The God of whom we discover through multiple ways. Creation, we talked about that, through design, through conscience and morals, right? And it's not like, well, we go to the Bible to discover God. No, God reveals himself through the Bible. But we can see God at work in this world, through people, through nature. But the Bible reveals him even more. There's a word called theophany. And theophany is just really a technical way of saying the appearance of God. And there were many theophanies in the Bible. There was many appearances of God in the Bible. And when you think about this, he appeared in various forms. Some of you remember, for instance, uh, a burning bush where Moses talked to God. And God appeared through a burning bush. The pillar of cloud and uh, fire was a manifestation of which God led the Israelites through the wilderness, the appearance of God on his throne to Isaiah. You may remember that. There's a theophany of God in his chariot as seen by the prophet Ezekiel and the appearance of three men, which were two angels in God that appeared to Abraham. Jacob wrestling, which what seemed to be a man, but was a theophany of God. And through history, especially in the Old Testament, God reveals himself to man in those ways. But when we get to the New Testament, then God says, I'm going to reveal myself in a whole new way. I'm just going to come in the flesh. As Jesus Christ. So God reveals himself to man through Jesus. If you would, open up your Bibles. Okay? And if you don't have one, we've got some in the back. We'll bring them to you. Just raise your hand and we'll fetch one and bring it to you. Turn to the book of John chapter 14 with me. John chapter 14. We're going to start in verse 8. John chapter 14, it's the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, fourth book in the New Testament. John chapter 14, starting in verse 8. Philip said this, having a conversation with Jesus. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. Wouldn't that be great? I mean, you're having a conversation with Jesus, Son of God, okay? Hey, 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 Jesus, just show us God. Show us the Father. We'll be satisfied. We'll believe. What does Jesus say? Verse 9. Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you, why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me and does this work through me. Jesus says, you want to see God? You're seeing God. God revealed himself through the Old Testament. God revealed himself through the New Testament. We know that as Jesus ascended into heaven, after he had resurrected from the dead, he promised what? My very own spirit will come and be with you. So basically, we have God in the Old Testament appearing at various times to mankind. And then we get to the New Testament and God says, I'm just going to come in the flesh. And then Jesus says, listen, I'm leaving, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to give our very own spirit to you. We're never going to leave you. As you believe, the Spirit will come. In John 14, same chapter there, let's go down to verse 16. 
verse 16 says, And I will ask the Father, He will give you another advocate, he will, who will never leave you. Verse 17, He's the Holy Spirit who leads into truth. The world cannot receive Him because He isn't looking for Him, doesn't recognize Him, but you know Him because He lives, what? With you and will later be in you. God reveals Himself again through His Holy Spirit. God didn't stop there. You know, we know that God especially reveals Himself through also His written Word. So God reveals Himself in various forms of the Old Testament, through Jesus in the New Testament, through His Holy Spirit now, and through His words. God continues to reveal Himself saying, I'm here, okay? But in His Word, when we pick up the Bible, we are picking up God's spoken words. Now, you're in the book of John. I'm going to have you do this. Turn back a few more books to 2 Timothy. You go past Acts, Romans, First and Second Corinthians, and there's a bunch of little books, okay? You'll find after First and Second Thessalonians, you'll find first and then the second book of Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, You've heard this verse. I've read this to you before. I love preaching on it. Verse 15 says this. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. They've given you wisdom to receive salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. Verse 16. All Scripture. Let me hear you say all Scripture. All Scripture. Not just part of it. Not just, well, just the New Testament. That's all we're going to focus on. All Scripture. One more time. All Scripture. All Scripture is inspired. It's God-breathed. It's the same word that's used in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis when God reached down and took that pile of dirt and dust and put it together and then he, He breathed into the nostrils of Adam and created life. God spoke. God breathed. And we find that same right here in verse 16, the word being used. God breathed. All Scripture is God breathed. It's useful to teach us. Just like we're doing now. It's useful to help us know what is true, to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. You know what? I didn't know a lot of things I was doing wrong in my life until I discovered, you know what? That's wrong as I'm reading here. But it wasn't just that. God spoke to me through conscience saying, there's right and there's wrong, there's good and there's bad. And you know you're doing bad right now. Am I really doing bad? Yeah. Didn't you read this in here? Yeah, it helps me understand there's times I need to be corrected. It corrects us when we're wrong, teaches us to do what's right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. As we prepare to do things as a church, it's like, where do we learn to do that? How do we learn to love one another? Through God's word. It wasn't in the manual written up by Sesame Street, okay? It wasn't like, where do we learn to do good? Well, I learned it when I was a kid on PBS. No, we got it from God's word. To know more about God, to see God revealed, to to find hope in a book that opens up to truth. It's the Bible. And the Bible contains all this truth, written in various ways, written in various forms. The Bible is such a unique piece of literature. Books like Genesis and Acts teach us about history. If you like history, there are certain books there. You just go and read about what took place in in history, and you'll find out those are recorded in other books as well. Books like Leviticus and Deuteronomy contain hundreds of laws, and if you're reading through the Bible and you get to the book of Deuteronomy, you're like, who, what? Because you get some of those cultural laws that apply to that time, right? You get to the poetic books of Psalms, which contains music. It's like today's iTunes. You just 
plug in, man. There's a lot of good music in Psalms. Books like Isaiah, Obadiah, Zephaniah are just cool to say they have nothing in them. Just kidding. They have an incredible amount of prophecies in them. A lot of prophecies that have come true, which is amazing to think that this was predicted and they've already come true. And then there's still more to happen. Song of Solomon. It's a romantic book. I suggest if you're not married, don't read it. Okay? Uh, I might get you going. The Bible's well-rounded. It's an incredible piece of literature. Some of you are like, mark down, read Song of Solomon later. Okay. That one book, though, this one book actually contains 66 books broken into two sections, Old Testament, New Testament. Various walks of life were the, were the authors that, that wrote all these. Some of the authors were kings. Some were military leaders. Some was a, a tax collector, a fisherman, a musician, a doctor, a shepherd. Forty authors from various walks of life wrote their book. Three different continents, three different languages used. Luke, he wrote the book of... Luke, very good, all right. Keeping you on your toes, all right. He said this in Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They used eyewitness reports that were circulating among us from the early disciples. Luke went on to write this. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I have also decided to write an accurate account for you. Most honorable Theophilus, so you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. Luke said, listen, he was a doctor, okay? Very meticulous, I'm sure, in everything he did. Investigated everything thoroughly. All the reports that were circulating, interviewing, writing them down. He said, I'm giving you this book of truth, of everything, inspired by God's Holy Spirit. He wrote this all down. That was one of the authors of the forty. And as I said, from three different continents, three different languages, the first part of the Bible was written around 1500 B.C. Think about this. 1500 B.C., the first part of the Bible was written. The last part that was written was about a 100 A.D. That's about 1600 years. 1600 years, 40 authors, three different languages, three different continents, and they all have one central theme of God's redemptive love for mankind. How does that happen? If we took 40 different people, three different continents, and told them to write books over a span of 1600, we would never come up with a book that was unified in truth. That's why God's Spirit did it through all those different authors. Incredible. We believe that the Word of God is given by divine origin. It's inerrant, meaning there's no mistakes in it, the original manuscripts. The Bible remains today the unchanging authority in all matters of Christian faith and practice. If we come out and we say, listen, we're making a statement about what our church believes, guess where we got that from? God's Word. It's not like, I really don't like what's going on in today's culture, so we ought to come up with what we decide as a church. That's wrong. We decide how we operate as a church through God's Word. Because we need truth that's unchanging, that's solid, it's reliable. So, you step back from all this and you say, okay, Rex, but how do we know it's true? You're just telling us it's true. How do we know it's reliable? 
The Bible is definitely worthy of being reliable and trustworthy. And in preparation of this sermon, I emailed you all last week, and maybe you had a chance to open up. And if you didn't get that email, let us know. Give us your email. I'll put you on that list, okay? But there's a video link in there you can click on. I know a couple of you clicked on and checked it out, okay? It's really cool because the email system we have, we know who clicks on and opens them up. So if you ever said, oh, yeah, I read that, I hope you read it because I can go back and look and see if you did or did, okay? Um, so just be honest with me straight up, okay? But we know some of you clicked on and checked that link, okay? Um, and it, Pastor Landon showed this to the youth group on Wednesday night. It was really, really good. Uh, and again, I slipped in for a little bit and was watching some of it. And I was like, I, I want to show you some of this. And so I sent it to you. And I thought, you know what? No, I want to show you some of it today. So I'm going to just show you. Uh, it's about a minute and a half clip. But there's different tests that the Bible goes through. The honesty test, the telephone test, and the corroboration test, which I have a hard time pronouncing. Okay. And through those multiple tests that are taken, we find out the reliability and the truthfulness of this book, the Bible. So we're going to show you part of that video right now. Now another question comes up. How do we know the Bible isn't like the telephone game? How do we know if what we're reading is still what the authors wrote thousands of years ago? This telephone test allows us to see if the documents have reached us accurately we look at what's called a time gap. A time gap is the gap of time from when the author wrote the original to the time when the first copy was written. You see, back then they would write letters to each other. You probably wouldn't survive back then since texting didn't exist. Anyways, people would handwrite and copy exactly the original documents. Documents written by Paul, Peter, John, etc. These handwritten documents, originals and copies, were called manuscripts. The smaller the time gap between an original and the copy, the less room for error. So, let's look at some documents outside the Bible. Pliny the Younger was a Roman historian, and the time gap from when he first wrote his manuscripts to the copies we have is 750 years. Caesar's time gap for his manuscripts is 1,000 years, and Plato's Tetralogies is 1,200 years. The time gap for the New Testament, only 50 years. That's right, 50 years. The copies we have of the New Testament were within 50 years of the life of Jesus. The first biography we have of Alexander the Great is 400 years after he lived, and no one questions his existence, yet we have four biographies of Jesus within 50 years of his life, and everyone has a problem with him. The evidence we have of Jesus easily outweighs all other ancient figures in history. If we don't trust in the records of Jesus, then we have to throw out everything else we know or think we know about ancient history. That means throwing out everything we know about Caesar, Plato, Alexander the Great, and all those other dead guys. <sighs> now let's look at how many manuscripts we have of the New Testament. Let's think this through. We want more manuscripts, right? The more manuscripts we have, the more evidence we have, and the better chance we have at getting back to the original. Let's look at Caesar first. All that we know about Caesar, who was a contemporary of Jesus, is all written on 10 manuscripts. Now let's look at Plato's Tetralogies. Everything written in seven manuscripts. All that we know about Tacitus, one of the greatest Roman historians, in 20 manuscripts. Now let's look at the number of New Testament manuscripts. Let's guess how many. You're right! 
24,633 manuscripts and counting. Look at you, so smart. Now guess which historical document has the next most manuscripts and how many copies there are. It's the Iliad by Homer and has about mm, 643 manuscripts. It's a close second, trailing the New Testament by only 24,000. Notice my sarcasm. Everything we know about Caesar is in 10 manuscripts, and no one questions what he said or what he did. No one questions Plato or Tacitus, but for some reason, a ton of people have everything against the Bible, yet it overwhelmingly has the most evidence and manuscripts supporting it. There you go. As you watch that, I hope you're sitting there going, wow. I didn't realize that. Maybe you've heard me talk before about manuscripts, and you're like, I really don't understand all that. Like I said, there's two other tests that are in part of that video. Click on that email if you haven't had a chance to watch it, and it's really a good clip. And here's the thing. This is all good. This is all true. Okay? It doesn't matter who, you know, you want to sit down with somebody who they call themselves an atheist. I don't believe in God. That, that's their choice. But this is truth. Okay? This is a podium. I don't believe that's a podium. I don't believe it's made of wood. You can believe that, okay? This is a wooden podium. This is truth. Well, I don't believe it's truth. That, that, that's fine for you to believe that, but this is truth. You know what I'm saying? And a lot of people, they say, well, I don't believe. I understand what you're saying about what you believe, but there's a thing called truth, what is real. This is real. And the tests are valid. The tests are honest. And we can prove the Bible is better qualified than any other document written. But James, as remember he said last week, he said, you believe that there's one God? Good. Even the demons believe that. And they shudder. You believe that the Bible is real? Good. But I believe the demons probably also believe that too. And I wonder what they do. I believe they shudder. Because it's the words of God. The question is, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, I believe this is true, but if I'm not living it, what does it matter? I believe this is accurate, honest, life-changing, but if I don't open it and read it and follow it, it doesn't matter. To believe is to act on your beliefs, and, and faith is translated into behavior. If you go back, and let's go back to Old Testament, okay? In the book of Deuteronomy, what did God say to Moses? Listen very carefully. Actually, grab your Bibles and turn to the second passage we're going to do is Joshua. Uh, Joshua chapter 1, verses 7 to 8. We've got two of them up there, three of them up there. I want you to turn to Joshua. I'm going to read from Deuteronomy. And then we'll go to Joshua together, okay? First out of Deuteronomy 17, it says this. When he sits on the throne as a king... He must copy for himself a body of instruction, a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priest. So if you were a king back in Old Testament, biblical times and historical times, and you're a king, okay, guess what I had sitting next to my throne? Scrolls. Well, what's on those scrolls? Scripture, God's words. When he sits on the throne as a king, he must copy for himself the body of instruction on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priest. He must always keep that copy with him. As a king, that copy must be with me. And then he goes on to say this, and read it daily as long as he lives. That way he will learn to fear the Lord 
God by obeying all the terms of these instructions and decrees. This regular reading, look at the person next to you and say, regular reading. Regular reading. That doesn't mean sporadic. That doesn't mean I'll do that next week. Regular reading. Consistent, right? Will prevent him from becoming proud and acting as if he's above his fellow citizens. It will prevent him from turning away from these commands in the smallest way. God said, listen, if you're going to be a king, you know what it means to live like a king? It doesn't mean to eat better food than everybody. It doesn't mean you're going to sit on a throne above everybody. It means this. I'm going to be in God's word on a daily basis. That's what it means to be a king. And if we are just not kings but mere peasants, so to say, it would be even more important to us to know this. If I want to be like a king, I can read like a king. What did God say to Joshua? Uh, chapter 1, verses 7 8. Be very strong and courageous. I love this pep talk. Be careful to what? Obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate it from them, turning neither the right or the left. Then you'll be what? Successful in all you do. One of the few places you ever find that word successful in the Bible. How can I become successful in life? Well, ask Joshua. He'll tell you. It's by what? Studying this book continually, meditating on it day and night, so you'll be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you be prosperous and successful in all that you do. Scripture often refers to meditation as a means of productive Bible study. Listen, you want to get into God's Word, you just don't glance over it. You get into it. In the busyness of life, we often read the Word in a very cursory manner, sailing through its message, stopping you know, on occasion maybe to give a little bit of thought or something or whatever, we frequently approach the Bible more as like a, you know, it's like this. It's like a, for those of you like water skiing, this is the, that's the way sometimes we read the Bible. We just skim across the top and we just look for the smooth and we enjoy it, right? Instead, what should we be doing? Not water skiing, but deep sea diving. Let go of the rope and go deep. That's how we should approach the Bible. Hebrews 4.12 says this. The word of God is alive. It's powerful. It's sharper than the two-edged sword. Cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow, it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. See, as we read and study the Bible, the the Bible, really, God's Word studies us, reveals to us, breathes into us direction. It reveals where our life needs to be assessed and say, this is what you need to change about your life. That's from God's Word. The Bible is not just information or inspiration, which we find that there, but it's transformation. It takes us from one place and turns us and changes us into another God is most glorified when his power is revealed through the changed lives of people who are in his word. That's when God's revealed. What's that key to spiritual transformation? It's that renewed mind. It's that cultivated intimacy with truth and the author of truth. That's where we find that spiritual intimacy. So we have to ask ourselves, and I want you to ask yourself this question right now where you're sitting. What are you filling your minds with? What are you listening to? What are you watching? What source are we giving into? Are we, are we taking what is true, what is reliable, what is transforming? Are we, are we soaking that in? The very words of God and reading it? Please consider what you listen to. I do this often and there's times I don't. And when I don't, I pay for it. And so do you. Let me ask you this. Would you allow a criminal... To come in, sit down, and tell your children how to live? Would you be okay with that? Would you uh, be okay if we filled up a building with hundreds and thousands of people, and then you let somebody come up in front, and they just drop all kinds of swear words, and they talk about violence, and they talk about drug use and sex, and as if it were to be celebrated? 
You okay with that, with that going to your kids? It's happening. I want you to consider this, okay? And I'm not picking on anybody, okay? But if you go to a, a sporting event, we'll just use a sporting event as an example, okay? And there's pregame music playing. I did this. I pulled out uh, my phone. I have an app on it. Put, hit the app. I used this app with Mark Robinson one time and Ron Kaufman because if you ride with Ron and um, around, he's going to play this, hey, let's listen to this song and see if you can name that tune. Mark can nail it. Okay, I, I, I recognize songs. I don't, I don't know who the singer is. I don't know the name of the song, right? So whenever we're riding around and we'd go to these ball games, Ron's like, okay, how about this one? And Mark's like, oh, yeah, I get that one. I'm in the back. I'm like, I have no clue, right? So he had to carry the load and get them right, okay? So finally, I got, oh, I found this app. So you hit it and you just leave it, your phone lay there. And then after about like three seconds, boop, he's like, and so I'm in the back. I tried it. I was like, yeah, um, I think that's, you know, and I gave him the name of the song, and, the, and, and I, I think I really surprised the guys that I got one, okay? I made the mistake of chiming in on the second one right away. Oh, yeah, and I think that one's that right away. He's like, you're cheating. What you got back there? Because they knew I, I couldn't do it, right? So I had that app. I'm at a, pre, a basketball game. Pre-game music is playing, and I'm like, boom. I look at the song, like, whoa. Next song, boom. Song after song after song after song. Now, some of you adults in here, you're going to sit here and say, I've never heard of that group before, uh, that person before, uh, that song before. never heard of it, but you, it's playing all the time, okay? Some of this, the, uh, the kids in here, you probably heard it because it's, it's on all the time, okay? Um, I'll give you just one of the artists, okay? And then I went to a website. It's called PluggedIn.com. We use this website all the time. So, like, if the boys are going to go watch a movie or we want to watch a movie, it's like, I wonder what that movie's like. So we type it in, boom, this word, or this movie has all this kind of content, violence, whatever, and all this kind of content. Here's what the movie's all about. And, like, we were looking up one, like, oh, this looks like a good movie. It's rated R. Oh. And it's like, oh, 150 F words. We're like, what? That's like every minute just coming at you, right? It's like, don't need to go see that movie, okay? That's the one. It's like, I'm going to tell you something. You probably know, some of you know what movie I'm talking about, but here's the thing. There's a lot of movies like that. And they look like good movies. And it's like, I, it's, here's what I'm telling you. For me personally, I can't, I can't do that. I can't hear the foul, abusive language coming and coming and coming and coming. Because here's the thing. Your mind records everything. Your brain records everything. You start playing those musies, music from, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, whatever. We start singing along. Why? Because it's in here, okay? Some of you teenagers, your parents, they start singing these songs. Like, what are you saying? It's like, I don't know. It's just, it's in there, Right? It goes the same way with movies and TV shows and all that kind of stuff. And again, I just say, be careful with what you watch and listen to. Because I put in one of these songs, okay, that the kids are listening to for pregame music. Rick Ross. Let me tell you what PluggedIn.com had to say about him. Awash with N-words, obscenities, anatomical slang, misuses of God's name, this vile project also features graphic sexual content. And I won't tell you what's listed after that. Women are called, and I won't tell you what it says. That track and at least nine others glamorize drugs, alcohol from crystal, marijuana, meth, cocaine. Ross brags about peddling coke on certain songs. There's four of them. No shock since Rick Ross is a stage name paying homage to infamous L.A. cocaine dealer Freeway Rick Ross. His real name is actual William Roberts. Okay? And then here's another one, Drake. Of you for Drake before, right? 
The view from Drake's lofty perch near the top of the rap pedestal is a lonely one. Amid the melancholy fog where he generally spends his time, Drake occasionally has some perspective, if fleeting, moments of introspective insight. But harsh profanities, F-words, S-words, so forth and so on, earn iTunes explicit warnings for 18 of these 20 tracks. Add to the drugs, graphic sexual encounters. After spending the day looking at life from all the angles in Drake's view, I was tired. 20 downbeat tracks exhibit a worldview that still is empty, filled as it is with self-love, sex, drugs, alcohol, and crates of cash. I went on to look at today's top 10 songs that are out there for everybody to listen to. It's like, if you just listen to the regular radio and you don't listen to Christian music, top 10 songs. Went on, checked out all those songs, their backgrounds, the songs, and they're all filled with the same thing. And here's the thing that I'm, I'm sharing with you. As you allow that to penetrate your ears and your mind, you hear over and over and over and over. Guess what that does to you? It changes you. It infiltrates you. And yet we listen to these songs, watch these movies, and we allow entertainment to saturate our minds, and our behavior reflects these same messages. And we say, why are our kids acting this way? Why are adults acting this way? Well, look what we're soaking up. Look what we're listening to over and over and over. In 1986, in the city of Philadelphia, municipal workers went on strike. Trash began to pile up all over the city. Newspapers, beer bottles, um, fruit peelings, half-eaten burgers, trash, all things piled up, okay? So what do you do with all that trash? Well, the city, because on strike, decided this is what we're going to do. They finally piled it all up, and they put it aboard this ship called the Pelicano. The Pelicano moved from harbor to harbor. It went from Sri Lanka to Bermuda to the Dominican Republic to the Netherlands to Honduras Port after port after port after port. And at every port, there was a port manager that basically said, you may not dock that ship here. And the port authority turned it away back out to the sea. No one wanted that boat of trash. Okay? It makes sense, right? And for years, I'm not talking two, three. I'm talking 10, 20. We're talking decades. That ship has been at sea. Now, here's the thing. You are the port authority in your life. Trash comes to your door every day through entertainment, through music, through TV, through books, through social media. It's very accessible, right? Attitudes, crazy work hours, griping, complaining, high expectations. It's all trash that comes our way. Here's the thing. You are the port authority. God has given you the authority to say, no, you may not dock that here. God's given you the ability. He's given you his spirit that lives within you to say, no, I don't want to listen to that. No, I don't want to watch that. No, I don't want to read that. No, I'm not going to be that complaining person. No, I'm not going to have that kind of attitude. All those things affect our minds, our relationships. We have the choice to say no. Because we need to do like the Proverbs says, guard your hearts, for it's the wellspring of life. It determines the course of your life. Remember, just because there's trash on an incoming boat doesn't mean that that trash has to come into your life. You can prevent it. You can exert permission. And I understand, though, if like you're, for instance, you're at a big stadium and they're playing, you, I know, I understand. You can't do anything about that. You can't go walking up to whoever's at the table and saying, oh, can you please turn it off? That offends my Christian ears. Okay? They're going to look at you and probably do something. But anyway, you got to figure out how do you exert yourself in those moments? How do you say, I don't want to listen to this? If you're a person of leadership, you have opportunity to do something about it. If you're not, then you can be praying about it. You can wait till the music, you know, I'll, I'll show up at two minutes before the game starts because I don't want to do it. I'll step out in the gym, whatever it may be. Put in your own 
I don't know. You, you're going to have to figure that one out. But you, on your own time, as we all have our own time, at those moments can choose not this port. Not here, not today. Listen, this is what we do say yes to. We say, yes, bring this in. Dock this in my port today. I want to open this up. I want this to infiltrate my mind because this will transform me. This will change me. Ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate its meaning, how you apply it to life. God, I'm not sure what I'm reading today. You know, when I get ready to open up and read every day, I move my page, write it down. God, what do I need to hear today? Ask Him. Holy Spirit, speak to me. It's not only transforming you, prepares for the way to come, and our way, I'm telling you, there are so many things that come our way every day. There's one of my favorite verses, Psalm 119 and 11. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Why? Because temptation comes my way every day. I do not want to mess up. I need God's word to help me. Because without it, I know I will trip. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says this, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow temptation to be more then you can stand. And when you're tempted, he'll show you a way to get out. Temptation comes. It comes every day. You and I are no different than anybody else. Whatever temptation you're facing, somebody else in this room is facing the same temptation. Okay? Matter of fact, Jesus was faced with temptation and he had the most evil of evils, Satan himself, come to him. And what happened? Remember that in Matthew 4? Jesus was fasting for 40 days in the wilderness and Satan came to him. He says, if you're the Son of God, if you're the Son of God, if you're the Son of God, and every time Jesus replied, as it is written, as it is written, as it is written. How did Jesus combat Satan and the temptation? With his word. With his word. Paul says this. Put on the full armor of God that you can stand against the strategies of the devil. We're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in heavenly places. Therefore, put on every single piece of the armor of God. It doesn't say just put on two pieces, put on one piece, put four out of the five. It says put on every single piece of the armor of God so you can resist the enemy in time of evil. After the battle, you'll be standing firm. Stand your ground. Put on the belt of truth, the body armor of God's righteousness for shoes. Put on a piece that comes from the good news so you'll be fully prepared. In addition to this, grab the shield of faith which will stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on the helmet of salvation and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And then run into battle. But do you ever think about this? you ever think about putting on all that armor, but you don't grab a sword? Oh, that you're not going to make it too far in that battle. What is the sword of the Spirit? The Word of God. You can prepare yourself in every way to live for God, but without this, you can't be victorious. Oh, I know. I'll just... I really haven't studied God's Word much, but I'll go into battle with my pocket knife. Okay? How long are you going to last? Not very long, right? So my typical, yes, Rex, it's time to bring out my my uh, illustration that I do like once every two years, and you all know it was coming properly. And for those of you who are visiting, you didn't realize it, okay? But when we talk about bringing the sword of the Spirit, this is what we're talking about. This is pulling out God's word. This is pulling out a good thought. Okay? You ask me, which would I go into battle with? I'm going with this. Wouldn't you? When you look at a sword and the way it's built, and this is called the hilt, 
when you go to fight, you don't like, gotcha. There's a phrase, to the hilt. To the hilt means you would run them through all the way to the hilt. That's what that phrase means. That means fully committed. I'm all in. There's a great book out there called To the Hilt that talks about living fully devoted for Christ. Meaning, I'm not just going to do this and this. I'm living all in for Christ. When you fought, that's how you use the sword. For those of us Christians who, a lot of us do this. We just basically leave our sword in the sheath and we leave it at home or put it up on the wall and say, look at my sword, right? That does us no good. Church, I want to challenge you to understand what we hold is God's word, true and reliable, life-changing, transforming, transforming. And if you are not picking it up, opening it up, meditating on it, studying it, obeying it, it does no good. If you really believe that is true, and we should be living it out. I want to encourage you to that. Worship team, would you please come forward? I want to encourage you to grab your Bibles. I want to encourage you to think about this. God's word is true, reliable. It's been tested. God's word is transforming. What are you going to do with that, church? If you don't have a reading plan, get a reading plan. If you don't have somebody to hold you accountable, find somebody who's going to hold you accountable to reading. And go deep with it. Don't just jab around with God's word. Go deep. Go to the hilt. Would you please stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're an awesome and mighty God. We know that. We can read about it, but we see it in action. We see it in truth. God, I thank you that you give us your words. All those authors over a period of time came together with one message from you, that you love us. You would send your son to die for us. And in the midst of all the junk that goes on around us, you knew we couldn't do it on our own. So we place our faith in you. We ask for for the forgiveness of our sins. And we ask for your spirit to come within us, to change us, to transform us. God, we got a lot of junk around us not being judgmental to what we watch or what we listen to, just being honest. There's stuff out there that really hurts us. But your word gives life. Your word changes us because you're breathing into us. Every time we open your word, you breathe into us. God, I pray this church becomes fully committed to studying your word, to living out your word, to obeying your word. Lord, help us to be devoted fully to you. We love you, God. Lord, we're going to worship you now in song, sing to you. In thy name we pray. Amen.